just singing that, saying, lead me to your heart. We understand that uh, that's where you're trying to to get us. And everything that we're involved in right now, the, the situations that we come up against every day that are good and bad, the ones that we struggle with, the ones that we don't, it doesn't matter. You're trying to lead us somewhere in those. And that is specific to the cross, to your feet. We just came out of the the Christmas season, Heavenly Father, where there's so many things that can be looked at as the the season. And it's, it's, it's not all about that. It's not even about that, Lord. The, the reason is the cross. The reason for the season is the cross. Lord, and we thank you for that. This morning as we, as we continue to hear your word and worship, even as we're listening to your word, God, we want to be on our knees looking at your cross. And we want to be brought into your presence by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, be here. Heavenly Father, be here. We need you. We need you to affect our hearts this morning to a point where we respond, to a point where we get up and we walk and we run and we sprint. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Happy New Year to you all. Yes, I know that Beck already said that, but you haven't heard it from me, so hey, Happy New Year. Um, hope everybody's doing all right this morning. We uh, are just going to kind of jump right into stuff. We are going to wrap up the book of Haggai today. We've been going through the book of Haggai for the past like three months. A lot in there. Um, for those of you who have been with us the entire time, it's all going to make sense, I promise. <laughs> um, we're going to connect some things and see the Lord's character, the Lord's perspective, the Lord, how he does things, how he talks to his people. Um, but there's a there's an underlying theme throughout the entire book of Haggai that we're going to pull out and we're going to look at. Um, but this morning, I kind of want to uh, challenge you guys in, in a... In a way of thinking, I guess, when, when it comes to the new year, when it comes to these New Year's resolutions and it's this time where we can kind of start new and fresh and all of that, a lot of times when we make these New Year's resolutions, it's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to lose weight, gain weight. For me, it's gaining weight. I like, you know, I'm trying to be big and or trying to dominate a space, if you want to call it that. Um but everybody's got their New Year's resolutions, and they kind of are me-centered. They're centered around something that you want to do to advance yourself in something. I'm not saying everybody has that. I really not am not. It's just a lot of times they have that flavor. What I want to ask you guys to do this morning is to kind of switch that mentality and switch it to this, that there's not a whole lot that you need more of. In this moment of your life. Now the reason I'm going to say that. The reason I put it out like that. Is because where you are right now. Is exactly where you're supposed to be. And everything that the Lord has brought you through. Up until this point is sufficient. For now. Now he does say tomorrow isn't promised today. And what you use. Uh, you can't use for tomorrow. What you, what you were given yesterday. There's more that he wants to give you. That's what I'm saying with that. But what I, what I will say is that he hasn't messed up. And what he's given you up until now. Instead of saying, here's what I'm going to do this year, New Year's resolution wise. 
why not say, here's what I'm going to give. Here's what I'm going to, of myself, of what the Lord has put in me, give now to somebody, some situation, some whatever. It doesn't matter. You're going to give of yourself rather than saying, this is going to be about me this year. I'm not saying everybody in here has that mentality. I'm not saying that at all. But I want to put that out in front of you um, specifically because we're going to revisit that at the end of this. So if you want, you can open up to Haggai. I'm not going to read the whole two chapters. That would take too long. We'd be here for way too long. But there's some things in here that I want to pull out. So I'm going to reference some of this scripture. Um, And it'll be up on the screen, I think, in bulk. That's how we kind of put it on the slides. But I'm just going to pull some stuff out. And we are going to see what the Lord is trying to say to his people and kind of how he says it to his people. So in concluding... This, this, the entire book of Haggai. There's, there's a recurring theme in this, uh, in this book that I feel like is worth noting. When you guys heard Beck preach last week, he said that the gospel is in every letter. The gospel is in every word, whether it is Genesis or, you know, Deuteronomy. We go all through all through the books. It's not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not just in the New Testament. It's in every letter. It's in every word from beginning to end. Well, if that's the case, Jesus Christ is the gospel. That means that in every single word, his character is in every single word. His character is in every single um, story in the word as well. And so with that mentality, Christ's character comes out in the book of Haggai from chapter verse 1, chapter 1, all the way through the end of the book. And it's this thing called, I'm just going to give you the word. I'm not going to try to dress it up anymore. It's just, it's real simple. It's perspective. From the beginning of Haggai all the way through the end, the Lord is trying to get his people to see the way he sees and to come to a conclusion that he is it. If we were to go through the scripture and pick out every prophecy and every Go through every single verse. That's what he's trying to do with his people. He's trying to get them to understand that, hey, look, I'm trying to take your perspective and switch it to my perspective. Now, the thing about that that I appreciate about the Lord (laughs) is that the mind is our greatest battlefield. It's our greatest battlefield simply because what we do on a daily basis is we create scenarios for ourselves sometimes that are harmful scenarios for ourselves that aren't the truth so what the lord wants to do is he wants to ground us in the truth so that we're always looking through the lens of scripture amen so as we kind of go through this this intro is going to take me just a little bit as we kind of go through this you can see that the lord is trying to change his people's perspective to land on something now, in the word, it says Romans, excuse me, in Romans 12, 2, in the word, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a big one. And that just speaks to the fact that your mind is a, is a battlefield. Your mind is a place where war is going on in this moment right now. Because if the enemy can get you to think something different than the truth, then he's won. Okay, he, he, he may have won that specific battle. He didn't win the war. Jesus dying on the cross was winning the war. Amen. But what he tries to do is he tries to take your perspective and just 
switch it, to move it just a little bit, to manipulate it just a little bit. So I'm going to try to be a little bit like my dad today, which is interesting. He always comes with like the five T's or the six W's or the 27 Z's. It's like, Dad, there's, what are you doing? (laughs) So I got five T's for you this morning. All right. Now I'm going to kind of start at the end and work my way back here. Uh, And we're going to go through, pick some stuff out of these these verses. I'm going to show you how the Lord is trying to get his people to a place to land on something that is specific. Now here's the last T. It's part of the five, but it's the last. And it's this word, triumph. The end result of trying to get your perspective on Christ and moving it towards him so you can see him and see that he is in everything is specific to the end result, which is victory and triumph in your situation, in your life, in the things that you're dealing with today that are good and bad. So here's what I'm going to say to you guys this morning. Some of you guys in here are like, you're dealing with it. Something in you that is like, Lord, I need you to take this from me. <laughs> it's a struggle. You're battling something. Do you want victory in that this morning? That's my question to you. I mean, honestly, do you guys want victory this morning? Is there, is there anybody in the church this morning? <laughs> do you guys want victory? Do you want triumph? You, you can have that today. Today can be your day. Today can be the day that you step across a threshold and come to a conclusion that, guess what? He's trying to get me to understand that I already have victory in that area of my life. I already have triumph in the end in that area of my life. Why? We see it in Haggai. We see it in his character. We see it in every single word. If I was to piggyback off of what Beck brought last week when it comes to Zerubbabel, in verse uh, Haggai 2, verses 20 through 23, he did an amazing job of letting us know that this, this man, Zerubbabel, is of the bloodline of Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about a signet ring. This signet, if you guys know anything about a signet ring, it's, it's what kings use to kind of seal a decree or seal a letter that they send out and it becomes law, whatever. It's... A tradition that they do. But what the Lord was saying at the end of chapter 2 through Haggai is that he wasn't going to make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. He was going to make him a signet ring. That's a big difference. Because what the Lord wants to do with a signet ring, he wants to make you a signet ring. The end result is that as we are pushed into our situation, our circumstance, we leave a mark on it and that mark is the mark of jesus that mark is the mark of the gospel that's that's a little bit more of of what that signet ring represents so if that's at the end of haggai and if that's at the yes if that's at the end of haggai and we're talking about triumph and victory being the end result the end result is that when you leave your situation or your circumstance that you leave a mark of the gospel on that circumstance you guys trucking with me on that so if that's the begin excuse me if that's the end let's kind of work back and look through start at Haggai 1 and I'm going to give you these five T's 
And then we're going to get to a point where, now I'll, I'll wait on that. I'll wait on that. But let's just look. I'll give you the first T, the first T here. So in, in, in verses 1 through 6, paraphrasing, the Lord is basically calling out his people and saying, look, you're not really doing what I'm asking you to do. You're spending time building your own home. You're spending time, yes, building your own home and not building my house, the house of the Lord. How's that working out for you? You got po- uh, holes in your pockets. There are things that you are doing over and over and over that you think will add to your life, and it's not adding to your life at all. It's actually putting you further behind the eight ball. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you your perspective. I'm going to speak truth to you. Here's the truth of what's going on, and that's the first T. The first T is that he brings us back to the truth. He'll show us our insufficiency not to beat us down. Don't hear me say that. But then through verses 7 through 11, he begins to speak his truth to us. So in changing our perspective, here's what he's doing. He takes us back to the truth. He takes us back to the word. He takes us back to the foundation of who he is, saying that, look, just look at the evidence of your life. Just look at how things are going, and you tell me if it's working. And so he brings his people back to the truth and says, you know what? And here's something, here's something that I just want to pause and say, that the way that he does this, he's always a gentleman when he does it. He's a gentleman in the sense that he doesn't say, hey, look how bad you were. Look how messed up you are. Look how many times you failed. He doesn't say that. He says, all I want you to understand is that the way you've been doing it isn't working. Now let me switch that. Let me give you me. Through the entire book, he's trying to switch his people's perspective from them to him the whole time. So then he moves on, all right, in verses 12 and 13, and here's the second T. I got to get through these so we can get to what I'm trying to communicate to you guys this morning. In verses 12 through 13, kind of in the middle of 12, it says that with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And then the end of 12, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. More so in verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. And then 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel. And then it closes out the chapter. When the Lord returns you to the spirit, excuse me, to the truth when he returns you to the word of God it causes you to do something it causes you to turn that's the second T you get back to the truth it'll turn you now see the Lord can't stir you up unless you turn back to him if you want to be healed this morning or something if you want to be resurrected in an area of your life that you know you're dying in and you want triumph you want victory in it well let's go back let's look at the truth Let's rest in the truth. Let's read the truth. And it's going to cause your heart to turn. That's what he did with his people. Cause his people's heart to turn. Why? Because they began to fear the Lord. And that verse 14, being stirred up, speaks to the next T. 
And it's real simple. It's just traction. Now, I want to say this to you guys this morning, that there's traction that we try to create as individuals that leaves us nowhere. And it's, I don't want to say it's best described, but I got a picture in my head right now. Fred Flintstone, when he jumps up in the air, feet go crazy, hits the ground. He's still kind of going crazy, but he's not going anywhere. And at some point, he shoots off. Now, that, obviously, it's not scripture. Not scripturally based. But it's just an analogy of how much effort we put into trying to get somewhere, and there's no traction whatsoever. If you are not operating in the truth, not only of who Christ is and who you are, the traction that you are trying to create, it won't work. You won't gain momentum. Let me use that word. You won't gain momentum. You'll just be wasting energy. So if we get back to the truth, he turns our heart and it allows us to gain traction. We get stirred up, which the only lasting momentum is that which is created by the Holy Spirit. And then we jump into chapter 2. The beginning verses of chapter 2 through verse 10 there is a there's a difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the sense that in chapter 1 the people hadn't yet turned their heart to the Lord at the end of the chapter of chapter 1 they did and in that the Lord continued to work in them so the next T is is real simple he just begins to train us on how to think the way that he thinks on how to do things the way that he does Now, everything that you guys have been through in your life, I've been through in my life. I'm not saying isn't supposed to be used. But what I am saying is you got to be careful what you go back and you pick out. (laughs) Because there are things that have happened to you that aren't the truth. There are things that you have walked through, things that you have experienced that begin to cause you to think a certain way. That, oh, every time I jump into this, things don't really work out the way that I want them to work out. So I'm not going to trust God in that area. There's a way that you've been trained to think because of the way that life has happened to you. I guess that's the best way that I can put that. But what the Lord does with his people, after they say, hey, you know what? I'm going to fear you and I'm going to do it the way you asked me to do. He doesn't leave. He says, I'm going to retrain you on how to think. So when we get back to the truth, he turns our heart and he allows us to gain traction. Well, once we start moving, we have to have the right perspective while we're moving. So then he trains us how to think. And in us, in him retraining us how to think, we get to the end of the book of Haggai, which we... I started with the last T, which was triumph, and that's simply what it is. Verses 20 through 23, as Beck was so so eloquently put out for us, that the gospel is in every letter. It's in every word. And if the end result is the gospel, then the end result is victory. The end result is triumph. So you guys kind of trucking with me on those T's? That, that, that kind of brings me to something that is, is more of the meat of this message. We can, we can go back and literally I could spend hours and hours trying to tell you the underlying theme of Haggai. There's about 56 of them. There's a bunch of them. But the way that the Lord operates is the same. 
no matter what we're reading, the end result is always the same, no matter what we're reading. And the end result is the gospel. Amen? So, with that being said, him trying to change our perspective isn't simply just so that we can have a different perspective, so that we can have a different way of looking at things. Because the... If I equate his perspective with the gospel, the gospel is one thing. It's functional. It simply just doesn't stand on its own. So it can be just this thing that we glorify and we come on a Sunday morning and sit and talk about. It, it's so that when we get up out of these chairs and go through that door and are sitting across the table from somebody at work, that the end result is the gospel. My question to you this morning is, do you have that perspective? Do you have the perspective that the Lord wants victory in that person's life too? Again, not saying that you don't. I'm just asking you a question this morning. (laughs) So let me ask you another question. Does anybody remember who the champion of the, and you can't answer this because you're a football dude, okay? (laughs) Who was the champion of the 32nd Super Bowl? Super Bowl 32. Anyone? Are you serious? Well, you can't answer the next one anyway. Guys, I have no idea. Does anybody know what the who is the champion of the 37th? 45th? No. You don't remember that, do you? Except for some people who are just, they got all the information. And I don't know if you would have known that. Okay. But here's what I'm saying is that if the gospel is functional, we're talking about triumph and victory. We're not just talking about being victorious over something for the sake of being victorious and then going on to the next thing. That's not what we're talking about. The Lord brings his people out of exile all the way through some stuff to a place where they understand that no matter what they're going through, they're going to be victorious. But guess what? That victorious, that victory, use the right word, it has a purpose. It does. It's not for us to just sit in. It's for us to get up and go do something with. I can win a football game. I mean, I specifically wouldn't. My team could win a football game or um, anything in competition, and that stuff fades away. But his victory, this victory, this triumph is different. Why? Because it's functional. Now, here's the part of this that... is unbelievably convicting to me. And I had a hard time getting through this uh, this morning in the first service. I'm I'm now the acting senior pastor of Jesus Christ Fellowship. And that has been a long time coming. I spent years and years running from that. And the Lord was just like, you know what? I'm going to get you. And there's nothing I could do about that, honestly. <laughs> That's his will and his plan. And the moment that I decided to just let him have that is the moment that I've, he gave me a perspective on who I was. But more so on who Jesus is within me. Because I will not be able to do this, but he will do it through me. And as as that happens and continues to happen, What he does on a daily basis is he gives me his heart for you guys. 
Like, he breaks my heart for you guys. He breaks my heart for the church. And if you guys could sit where I'm sitting and just see how much he wants you to see you, to see yourself the way that he sees you, oh, my goodness. It would break your heart. But alongside of that, if we're talking about the gospel being in every single word, what is the gospel? What's the end result of the gospel? Him dying on the cross and paying something for you. Now, here's where the title of this message comes in, currency. Let me, let me communicate this to you this morning. That the price, the cost for you and your sin was death. But the currency used was not your body. The currency used was his body. And it was used in a way that, you know, I'm reminded of, uh, what's the movie? Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson was interviewed about the crucifixion scene. And the interviewer basically just said, why did you make it so gory? Why did you make it so bloody? That was hard to watch. And he looked at him and said, we actually toned it down. We actually took took a few steps back from it. I cannot even imagine watching that, let alone going through it. But the understanding that that was the currency, that was the cost that he paid for each and every one of you guys, and he paid for me as well. That what that's causing me to 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 connect here is that if he's in it all, the perspective that he's trying to get his people to understand is that when he changes your heart, when he brings you back to truth, and it turns you, and then you gain traction, and then he'll take care of you in the midst of that. He'll train you how to think. And the end result is triumph. What he's trying to communicate is that he wants you now to go spend that. He wants you to now be the currency. That everything that he has put in you, everything that he has brought you through, he brought his people out of exile. There's times in your life where he has brought you out of some deep, deep exile, some deep stuff. Some stuff that, you know what, you shouldn't even be sitting here today. You should be dead because of that, whatever you want to call it. But he brought you out and took you through this, this melody, this harmony of simply, I have no other word for it, but just love. He loved on his people enough to bring them through something, to give them a perspective that, guess what? It's all me. But it doesn't end there. We are now supposed to get up and go do something with that and spend it. So if I go all the way back to what I was putting in front of you guys about your New Year's resolution, (laughs) what I'm asking you to do this morning is think about what the Lord has brought you through. And understand this, it's not for you. It's so that you can go spend it on someone, on, I don't know, a situation where somebody's hurting. And you know what? God placed in you the very thing to say to that person in that moment. You didn't even know it. Guess what? Spend it. Spend it. Get up and go do something with it. Are you guys trucking with me on that? So uh, those T's, it's interesting that. If you were to go look at 
any story in the Bible, the Lord begins with truth. This is his character. This is how he talks to people. There are things in the book of Haggai that we could pull out detail-wise and, you know, I could be up here talking about a million different things. But what's the underlying theme through this whole thing? That he's trying to change the way that you think to the way that he thinks so that the end result is people seeing the cross. And when they see the cross, they'll get up and go do something with it. Amen? You guys trucking with me on that. Now, you're going to hear me say that a lot. Everybody's getting in the truck, whatever that means. So I'm reminded of Matthew 25, 14 through 28, and it's the parable of the talents. Now, if I was to paraphrase that, that scripture, ten talents is given to one person, five to one, and then one to one person. The ten, the guy who gets the ten, he goes and he multiplies that. The guy who gets the five, he goes and he multiplies that. Well, these talents were given to servants by a master. The master left. When they came back, that's what happened with the ten. The ten were multiplied, the five were multiplied. Well, the guy who got one, he did something with it. He buried it. He buried it. And when the uh, the master came back, there's a, a conversation that they have that to me is very, very telling about that conduct, about that behavior. The end result was that he took it from him. He said, what you could have done at least was put it in the bank. So it made some kind of interest. The reason why the man buried that talent was because he was afraid. He was fearful. You know where fear starts? It starts in your mind. It starts with the perspective. Not having the correct perspective and so there was a quote that I read mm, two and a half months ago or so that I feel like is is so it's so powerful and it's from a movie and guys my uh, please understand I don't like preaching from quotes I will only preach from the word of God and that is it so anytime you hear me see bring anything that is not that it's just to help all right don't live your life on this on this stuff live your life on the word live it on the truth amen but it's this quote from will smith in this movie called after earth and it's a great great movie um it's kind of sci-fi ish Uh, i'm not gonna spend too much time trying to give you like the the premise of the movie but they crash land on earth like 200 years in the future i don't know it has to be in the future because nobody's on earth um, and the, the condition is that everything on earth has been, um, has been, has evolved to kill humans. All right. So you step outside of this, this plane and you're pretty much going to die. Well, the plane got broken up into two places, about a hundred kilometers away. That's like from here to Denver. And there's an emergency beacon in one side of the plane and Will Smith's legs are broken in the other side. <laughs> so he has to have his son go get the emergency beacon. All right. So. Halfway through the movie, there's some things that happen. Um, His son is unbelievably fearful, and he just stops his son, and he says this. It it just, when I was watching the movie, I had to pause it after that because it's, it it really gets you thinking, and and it's basically this, that fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. 
I'm going to say that again. Fear is not real. The only place that it can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It's a figment of our imagination. This is more of the quote. Causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. Ever. He goes on by saying, do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear, here it is. Fear is a choice. The only place that it can exist is in our thoughts of the future. Something that hasn't even happened yet. We have created in our mind a scenario where that's the truth. So what the Lord has been doing with his people is getting at that, getting at their perspective, getting at their mind, trying to get them to see that, look, go back to the truth of who I am. Start there. Because the end result is always triumph when you start there. I'm going to say that again. When you start in the truth, the word of God, the end result is always, always. That's an extreme. Okay, in marriage counseling, we try to tell people stay away from words that are extreme like that. You always do this. You never blah, 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 all right? I'm going to use that word right now. You always will have victory when you start at the truth. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you guys this morning that that's how the Lord deals with his people. That's how he's dealing with you. Let me get at what you think, how you think. The man who buried the talent was operating in fear. And that was a choice. Let's choose not to be fearful. Why? Because we know how the story ends. I would not be fearful if I knew that every single thing that I walked into I was victorious over. Well, that is the truth, and I just need to step into that. We all need to step into that this morning. Amen? So my request of you guys this morning is that you spend what the Lord has put in you this year. You spend it on somebody. You spend it on a situation that there's. you're not waiting for that next thing in order to have confirmation well, let me just, if I'm going to speak bold this morning, maybe the Lord is speaking through me. He's saying, go. He's saying, it's time for you to now step into who I made you to be. It's time. Go and be that. Spend it. Don't bury it. Amen? So let's get our, our worship team back up here. And let's get ready for our offering. And I know that we have communion. This morning as well, which we're going to, we're going to take. So if I could get all of those up here, that would be great. The Lord's purpose, excuse me, the Lord's perspective has a purpose. And if the end result is triumph, then that means we got to go back and start with the truth. And it causes us to turn. It causes us to turn. Why? So that he can stir us up. So that he can actually use us. And once he starts using us, it creates traction. Traction that's lasting. Momentum that will carry you through something that you will not be able to carry yourself through. And the end result, excuse me, not the end result, but through that process, he doesn't leave. He begins to retrain your mind. So in that, I want to encourage you guys, let him, let him take that. Let him take the way you think and replace it with the way that he thinks so that the end result is the gospel. Let's come up here. I'm going to pray for this offering and then we're going to take communion.
Heavenly Father, we just, uh, Lord, we thank you for the fact that you, in your word, ask us to test you. In your word, Lord, you show us what it means to give. And Lord, giving sometimes has no, has nothing to do with money. But again, in your word, that's the only place that you ask us to test you in. Is finances. But Lord, you're looking at our heart. You're looking at why we give. You're looking at the motivation behind that. Whether it's one penny or a million dollars, it doesn't matter. (laughs) The amount that we give doesn't get us any closer or further away from the kingdom as much as our heart towards you, period. So as this plate gets passed around, Lord, I pray that whatever is given will be given joyfully. And we can use this to bless you. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, go ahead and pass that.